from the Vaki Foundation. It's old school. The skills that made us and how they're changing. Hi, everyone. Welcome to old school. Uh, the skills that made us and how they're, they're changing. My guest today is a global teacher prize finalist from Malawi who has spent many years working to improve literacy rates in her community. She's also known as a champion of girls' rights in education. I'm delighted to introduce Jane Chikapa. Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Nicholas. It's really good to meet you finally. I don't think we've ever met in, in real life, uh, so this is a real pleasure for me. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the community that you're working in, what drives it, you know, what, what kind of jobs people are doing there, and we could take it from there. All right. Uh, I think I'll first of all talk about the community, which I was then because I moved right now. Yeah, uh, I moved to uh, a year ago. And the community, of course, was um, uh, Karonga. Karonga is the, uh, at the northern tip of Malawi. Yeah, it's characterized by fishing, as you said. A lot of people are into fishing, but not only that, people are also into business, like um, selling of goods, which they buy across the border from Tanzania. So basically, that's about Karonga. But right now, I'm staying in Chisi. Chisi is in central Malawi. I moved a year ago to this place, and um, Chisi is characterized by farming. People do a lot of farming here. We, we have farming as a the main thing which people are doing in which they depend their lives upon. And yeah, apart from farming, of course, there's a little bit of trade here and there, but mostly their life centers around farming. That's really interesting. So you've, you've moved from one, uh, one community which is really focused on fishing to another community where the, the output is dominated by farming. Um, do you think that the demand for education is the same in both of these communities? Have you noticed a bit of a difference in how people think uh, think of schooling where you are? It's a little bit different. People in the north uh, like education quite a lot. Um, I'm sorry to say that in the central, um, it's not it's basically a few people who are educated, a lesser percentage. But when it comes to the north, people take education seriously and. Uh, Unlike here, where mostly it's all about farming, child marriages, teenage pregnancy. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit different. Uh, I've noticed that in the North, people like education quite a lot, and they're serious about it. That's interesting. Why, why do you think that is? Like, why is, I mean, every country around the world, people sort of have, talk about differences between North and South and East and West and you know, different communities have different identities. Why do you think that's the case in Malawi, that you have these slightly different attitudes? Like, what's propelling it? I think it goes back in history, because um, when you go back to history, a lot of... Um, okay, when you go back to the missionaries, the missionaries did quite a lot of work. Um, we have, like, uh, Livestonia, where... Dr. Robert Laws was. So it's all about getting back to history whereby the missionaries introduced education. And in the North, I believe it's where they centered quite a lot and people accepted this than in the other parts of the area. So it goes back to the history. It goes back to the upbringing. Most of the parents in the North encouraged their 
children and students to go to school. So it's basically one, the history part, then the upbringing by the parents in the other way. That's interesting. I wanted to pick up on that. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was the incredible work you've been doing to improve literacy. And uh, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and the work that you've been doing. And I know you were doing that in the North, and I wondered if you're now continuing that to where you are now. But could you talk a little bit about the program generally and what fueled it and the impact that it's had? All right. L let me first of all start with how it started. The initiative which I'm doing is called the Bloomers Learning Initiative. You know, uh, we believe that we are all meant to bloom, regardless of what we face in this life or where we are placed. We have to bloom just like flowers. So uh, when COVID hit us in 2021, our schools were closed. Our country was declared a state of disaster due to COVID. So schools had to close uh, because of this. So we came up with an initiative to keep the students up to speed during COVID. You know, during that time, there, there was a lot happening. Uh, misinformation, myths about COVID-19. So when students had gone on vacation, we thought of um, keeping them up to speed by giving them free lessons, which we did on WhatsApp. We managed to reach out to 1,251 students. We had about five WhatsApp groups in which we were conducting live lessons to the students. These were students in both primary and secondary school. Now, we not only taught the live lessons, we also dealt with misinformation with regards to COVID. We tried to calm down the students on information which led to fear because of COVID-19. And at the same time, we also brought in some inspirational talks. I remember these were done on Tuesdays. We brought inspiring speakers who spoke to the students to remind them that they had a vision, regardless of COVID-19, they had to consider that vision which they had, they had to keep it in their minds. So we had inspiring women and men who talked to our students. And uh, yeah, I can say we successfully did this after students had gone back to school, we had to end this. But the other component is that we had some creative writing during the COVID-19 break. I remember we did some Cape to Cairo stories with students from Cape to Cairo, and we're part of that. So after we had ended our goal or our objective, which was to teach the students during COVID-19, we had to move on with the creative writing, which led to now what we're doing, which is the Bloomers Learning Initiative, creative writing. Now, basically, Malawi is one of the countries which have a lot of, a lot of illiteracy. 63% um, of others are illiterate. So this brought us into coming up with an initiative which would not only end illiteracy in primary and secondary school students, but we also looked at issues like the gap, which is there of authors. There's quite a huge gap. We've got most of the authors that we have uh, old people, sorry to say, but um, we don't have young authors. So we moved on from being just a creative writer, encourages, but we also said, no, let us encourage young people to become authors. Then we went step beyond that, a step beyond that. We said, what if we publish their work? So after we have trained these students in primary and secondary school, now in the north and the central of Malawi, we published their work and um, 
After that, we also thought of coming up with a conducive environment for for the for the reading which they are going to be doing and the writing. Hence, we came up with another initiative of building libraries. I can rightly say right now we've built a library in Karonga School for the Deaf. We'll soon be finalizing everything and handing it over to the students. Yeah, so the Bloomers Learning Initiative is all about ending illiteracy, encouraging students to write creative work. We publish the work. And let me tell you that one, some of our work has received international recognition. We won an award in 2022, the African Authors Honorary Award, which is a global award. Recently, it's just uh, this month, we won another award. Our book, My Dream, which was written by students with hearing impairment, highlighting issues that they face on every day-to-day -day life, um, the challenges they face, um, raising awareness on hearing impairment. So we won another award, and this is the Muller Fort Award, which is also a global award based in Botswana. Well, huge congratulations. And that sounds like such Thank an incredible you. and impactful project. And it must have been so wonderful for your students to have that recognition and for all of you who put the time and energy in. I'm really interested in this point about creative writing. And I'm I'm wondering... Could you speak a little bit about the kinds of stories that young people want to tell in Malawi? I mean, what are they linked to? Are they linked to kind of pop culture or to their dreams or to their daily experiences? Like, what, what are the stories that these kids are telling you through their writing? All right. Um, uh, we, we visited about 11 schools so far, um, reaching out to um, 2,051 students. I'll give examples of issues to do with poverty, issues to do with uh, lack of education, issues to do with child marriages, um, uh, corruption. I remember we recently had a, a meeting with the Anti-Corruption Bureau in which we would like to publish stories which are promoting integrity um, and ending anti-corruption, which is also a problem in Malawi. So it's basically about the current issues in the communities which we, we, we've trained, that is in the primary and secondary schools. So they center around that, they talk about the issues they face in their day-to-day -day lives. That's really interesting. giving young people a voice to talk about the things that, that impact them as well. Do you, is, yes. that something that, is that something that the parents are engaging with as well? Do they encourage the young people to read or is this being fueled by the young people themselves? Of course, we have a few parents who, who, have, who have encouraged, who have encouraged their students or their children to read. But for us currently, we are focusing quite a lot on the students themselves to say they should do this. And then later on, I, I hope we'll move on to now having parents encouraging the students. Like we're thinking of a project in which we would uh, introduce some mobile libraries, a, a briefcase sort of library in which um, would distribute to the students, encouraging them to read. And then the parents would get involved in doing that, encouraging their students to read and write. So yes, we have parents who are passionate about this. We have parents who are championing reading and writing in the communities, but it's a less, at a lesser scale. So we'd like to champion for that. And 
this may seem like a silly question, but it's a fundamental one in education. Teaching children to read is is one of the fundamental pillars of schooling all around the world. In the time that you have been doing it and the projects that you've been running, has your approach to teaching reading and writing changed as technology has changed, as the world has changed? Or has it remained, you know, the same as when you were taught? I ask because so much of the conversation now we have in education globally is how everything is changing. And I wondered whether that was your experience or whether for you it's about those fundamentals, those basic approaches uh, that that you may have learned as a, as a child and whether they still hold true today. The approach has, has changed quite a lot. Mm, can I take you back to um, in Malawi? We, back to history, like we, I was saying that in the past, we, we, we've had the missionaries coming and introducing education. So if we look at our history, Malawian writing originated from people gathering around the fire. That's what we used to have. We would gather around the fire our parents would tell us um, folk tales. They would, tell, would dance around the fire. They would tell us um, uh, not only folk tales, stories, a lot of stories. That's where we are coming from. We are coming from a scenario where we had that connection with our parents and our grandparents telling us a lot of stories. We would have some dances, we would have some games, some songs. These were songs which taught us quite a lot. They taught us issues to do with uh, creativity. You know, when we'd be singing, we'd be creating a lot in the process. We, we do not only learn creativity. In the process, they were educative. Um, our parents would tell us stories which were educative. And uh, yeah, they were also entertaining. We would always look forward to hearing the stories and the dances around the fire. So that's what basically that we had in the past. And I remember this was also translated in the classroom by our teachers. They would sing for us. They would um, compose songs. And this literally made us very creative through the games that we had even with our teachers, which is quite disappearing nowadays. Nowadays, uh, students are focused quite a lot on the television and the creativity has gone down a little bit. Most of the students are not in, into writing. They would rather go to the TV and watch TV than, 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 than do the dances and the stories. So this has skewed their creativity. They are no longer as creative as they used to be because from the fires, the dances, I hope, that's what our, our, our teachers then translated into writing and uh, reading. But nowadays we, we've had students who are not creative. Instead, you ask them uh, uh, to tell you a story. They'll tell you about something which happened in the cartoons, not very creative. And that's so interesting. And then are you hoping through your creative writing to unlock that, that creativity in, in your students? Is that something that you're hoping to be able to do? Yes, it has created a lot of creativity. If I were to share with you the book, you'd be like, wow. And this is a book which was written by students with hearing impairment. We've got another book which was written by a student with visual impairment, which is upcoming. Um, it's going to be in Braille. So 
you know, you listen to these stories. I mean, you 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 read the stories and they touch your soul. Someone expressing how they're being tortured just because of being visually impaired or being an albino. You know, such issues. And you're like, wow, this was written by a student. So the creative writing we are doing is not only making them creative, but, you know, I believe that they will also become leaders. They say readers are leaders. So the same would apply to writers. And I'm really interested in the point you made about how learning was introduced through dance and through creativity and, and through community as well. Uh, am I right in thinking from what you're saying that that is becoming less and less the case? Are fewer people dancing, are fewer people passing on knowledge through that kind of communal dancing and, and singing? Uh, or is it being reinvented in other ways? Of course, speed dancing is there. I would say like in primary school, they, they're still doing it, but it, it's not as uh, it used to be in the past where we had our parents sitting down with us. You know, that connection. Most of the times people, if they're doing it, it's just for the sake of delivery and then they, off they go. But in the past, it was more than that. It was the cohesion that it brought. Yeah, so... It's coming lesser and lesser. I don't see most of this in secondary school. I don't see most of this in secondary school, but yeah, in primary it's there, but it's becoming lesser and lesser than it used to be. Why do you think that is? What happened? I think we, if we are to look at now the coming in of the influence of the other cultures, apart from that, like I said, we've moved digitally, like right now, most of the students would rather watch television or a movie. And apart from that, I might blame it on the our curriculum. Our curriculum is based on making students memorize things and then later on pass the examinations. If our curriculum was based on the fact that maybe a student could apply or could be allowed to be creative as a, maybe the curriculum in the other countries like in the U.S., where students are more creative, I think it would have helped quite a lot. But nowadays, our curriculum is more into making students pass. So teachers are more into making students pass than making them creative. I wanted to touch on another very important area of work that you're engaged with, which is your work with, with girls and with young women and improving their literacy rates. And I wondered if you could talk about that a bit, because I know that's an issue you feel very passionately about and you've had a great impact on. Yeah, first of all, uh, there are some initiatives which are being done, initiatives which have been done by the government. For example, there are some bursaries which are targeted towards girls. We, we, we've had bursaries which are targeted towards girls. But now the problem is, the, the one area which I'm focusing on is on mentorship. We are trying as teachers to mentor these students as their role models, but now the continuity is not there when they go at home or when they're in their communities. So what we're basically doing is that we connect the students to some mentors. We invite role models into schools. We started this with our own school, whereby we invite nurses, we invite police women, we invite um, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, 
who are like role models in the community. They come to speak to the students. They share their stories, their success stories, the challenges that they faced and how they overcame them. And then later on, we connect these students to the mentors so that there's that continuity. So that's basically what we are doing with regards to the girls. And apart from that, we, we, we have talks on prevention of child marriages, teenage pregnancies, which are very common in our area. How do you engage with such complicated issues? So for example, child marriage, because that must, must involve working alongside the community and speaking to authority figures there and building trust and relationships, but to change what I imagine is a fairly long established practice must take a lot of work and engagement. This is work which uh, I'm now wearing a cap as a scout. Uh, I, I, I'm serving as a district commissioner for scouts. And through scouting, we managed to go to villages and uh, with partnership with uh, other organizations like Malawi Girl Guides, um, we've managed to go into the villages, talk about um, child marriages issues. We've talked about issues to do with the prevention of gender-based violence, which is also common in this area. So we reach out to them now wearing another cap, not as a, just a teacher. Yeah, so we basically reach out to them in the community. We teach the the PTA, Parents Teachers Association, the mother groups, who, who these are parents or women who have been chosen in the community to speak to the girls, to be like watchdogs for the girls and the, for the prevention of their rights. We have the school management committees, which we have also engaged. These are governing bodies at a school level, but from the community. And this in turn, apart from us reaching out to the community, also in turn, reach out to the community and speak to them on such issues. And how have you seen attitudes to this issue shift in the course of your work? Do you think attitudes are changing or, or do you think it's going to take a, a lot longer to address this issue? Attitudes are, are changing, but it's going to take quite a lot longer because um, but these are cultural issues. You know, um, sometimes to break what some someone thinks as their culture is, is something which should not take a, a day or a month. It's something which involves a mindset change. So attitudes are changing, but it's going to take quite a long time, but we are not where we used to be. We are, we are getting there step by step. And finally, I, I'm really interested, I mean, you've talked throughout the course of our conversation about wearing different hats, you know, as a teacher and as a as a as a sort of scouting official and as a community leader and um you become if i understand well pretty well known at least in your community and more broadly across malawi you've been on tv you're, you're you've been in the news you've been nominated for the global teacher prize i wondered if you could talk about how that's affected your life you know uh how it's sort of changed your life and what you think the next steps are for you, having moved into this community, what your new priorities are? Mm, wearing different caps has enabled me to reach out to the community 
and touch base with the real issues in the community. Now, coming back to awards like the Global Teacher Prize, they've given me another perspective in, in, in life. We've got a network of ambassadors, and each and every time I see an ambassador, I, I, I follow them, I, I, I befriend them, and follow what they're doing through either LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and I'm learning quite a lot from what they're doing in other countries. I'm learning quite a lot, and this has positioned me very well, um, and has given me opportunities. Uh, and I've won awards not only the Global Teacher Prize. We've got awards like the One Million Teachers. We've got Girls Rising. We've got HP Mentor Teacher, in which I'm mentoring other teachers across the globe. So this has positioned these have positioned me very well to be a global teacher, not a teacher, not only in Malawi. I'm able to engage and mentor other teachers um, in other countries. It has positioned me to say, I, I have something to offer, not only in Malawi, but beyond that. And as a woman, I, I, I believe that regardless of who, who I am as a woman, I have a lot to offer. So this has even seen me growing from just being a male teacher and being at an administrative level. So it's basically not only about the networking, the social capital which it brings along, it's also about growing personally as a, a person from just being a male teacher into a leader at the end of the day, an administrator at the end of the day. It has changed my mindset on how I do things. Basically, in the past, it was all about the four walls of the classroom. I teach, I go. But I think beyond that, changing lives even beyond the classroom. So it's a big platform. Well, Jane, uh, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed the opportunity to speak to you. And I loved so many of the points that you've made about you know, how you know, schooling has changed in Malawi and how knowledge is being passed down, but also the importance of the work you're doing in your community to boost literacy and child marriage and to unlock creativity. And as you say, I think there's so much that all of us can learn from the work that you're doing on so many levels. So huge thanks to you uh, for, for your time today. Um, and to everyone listening at home, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do leave us a great review wherever you've heard it. And we, we look forward to seeing you again next week. But Jane, thank you so much. Thank you very much. And I would, I would like to thank the Vaki Foundation and the Global Teacher Prize for this uh, opportunity of highlighting us as global teachers. You know, it's giving us platforms internationally. I've, I remember I, I once had to go and speak at the African Union just because I mentioned that I'm a Global Teacher Prize finalist uh, on Teacher's Day. So thank you very much and yeah, keep on doing the good work. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Old School is produced by the Varki Foundation, a global education charity working to ensure that every child has a good teacher. Please join us next week for another inspirational story.